Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Oh, Mac, what a time to be alive. Cool. What a time to be alive. <laughs> what a time to be alive. What a time to be alive. Well, I guess the cat's out of the bag. Look what the cat dragged in. <laughs> I'm not sure what we're doing right now. It's kind of stalling for time right now, I suppose. <laughs> no, hey, we were live at Idle Hands Craft Ales just this past week, Mac, and I think Whoa. it was a rousing success, if you ask me. Now, granted, wasn't our show, but we figured out the sound. So next week at Trivia, DC Trivia, Idle Hands Craft Ales, 89 Commercial Street, August 25th, Mac and Goo, DC Trivia once again. The sound is going to be immaculate. And when he says D.C., he does not mean uh, Washington. We're talking about D.C. No, no, no. I am going just the District of Columbia. Right. Okay. Yeah, we can do that. Mac and I have been there once. (laughs) How many times have you been to D.C.? Once. No, once. I've only been there one time. Wow. So just eighth grade. Just that picture. There's only one photo of us. Eleanor Roosevelt fountains. (laughs) You know what's weird about that photo, and we'll tweet it out again, is that like Mac and I weren't like the best of friends in uh, right. middle school or high school. We obviously knew each other. We played on the same sports teams, but we didn't necessarily hang out or really right. talk that much. We were but, we were friends because we played all the same yeah, sports, basically. But there's one photo of us, very oddly, of us posing by some monument. It's an incredible photo. Like, out of nowhere. Someone it's at the Eleanor like, Roosevelt thing. Yeah. I don't know what they call it, the park or sprinkler area, whatever it is. It's called the sprinkler area. The Eleanor Roosevelt Memorial Sprinkler Area. <laughs> but uh, back to this. Yes, we are doing DC movies. And when I say that, I mean, like, there'll be one or two categories that is on the DCEU. But we're spanning this all the way back to Superman 78. So look for Batman 89, Batman Returns, all of those movies, plus... Watchmen and Green Lantern and other stuff like that, but those will Mm -hmm. all be in there. That is once again this next week, and I think we're going to have a complete blast. And Mac, this might be the time that we try and do it live onto the internet. We'll see. Oh, whoa. Yeah. That's a nice tease. I'm feeling that confident. Wow. Well, you can set up audio wise now in like 15 yeah. minutes which mm-hmm. is nice so you don't really have to there's no like time dedicated to that so yeah. maybe we'll spend the rest of the time uh non-setup to try to figure out the video portion just thought of this too because everyone's a just an effing cheater um let's set it up so that it actually streams two hours after so that people are not feeding answers over the internet or cheating and looking <laughs> over the internet i don't think people are going to have the time to go look at the feed and Mac, then, i mean i feel like everyone's going to do that that's how popular we are. But once again, this past week, Idle Hands Craft Ales, we did a live show with hashtag Dork. That is available on their feed. And we mm-hmm. did the Hall of Fame for Dork, and I think that Alf got snubbed. Alf did not get snubbed. You know, the only thing I felt bad about, uh, it was sort of a spite vote, was not letting Turtles and Time in. 
my thought on it though is like as far as arcade goes, I I obviously nominated Golden Tee, which didn't get in, mm-hmm. but I like the Simpsons game and the well, X Men game more. Than so Turtles. the reason why I went Turtles in Time over those two is because the home port was better than the home port of those two. So it yeah, was really an, like an they, aggregate, really. Yeah, but like in the spirit of those games, we enjoyed them more arcade style. Well, I loved it on the Super Nintendo. I played it nonstop on the Super Nintendo. I still play it on the arcade right now. Brag. Whoa. And then also Pokemon should have gotten in too. Pokemon for sure should. That's just a that's a it's a blind sight for hashtag dork. They just they don't get Pokemon. It's not their thing. I thought just they would let it in just for Pokemon fans, but I appreciate the fact that they they held their uh they drew a line in the sand, goo, for lack of a better They term. towed the fence. <laughs> One goo, three, yeah! Mac and goo! Jaws three! Mac and goo! King of Queens! Mac and goo! Meryl Street! Mac goo! Entertainment! I'm goo! And I am Mac. And we are the Mac and Goo program. We bring you friendship. And today we're going to be talking about things we've both seen and a couple of things only goo has seen or only I have seen. Uh, today we're doing um, Let's All Go to the Movies, uh, shit we've seen and haven't talked about, part one. Part one, because there's roughly, I think, 16 or 17 things, and we don't want to condense it all into one episode. We want to stretch it out. And the things that we've already talked about, so we're not talking about these right now because we've already discussed Suicide Squad, Loki, Black Widow, I Think You Should Leave Season 2, and A Quiet Place Part 2. So you can check out those solo episodes Right now, Mac, just to kind of set the old docket, we are going to be talking about, I still have too many things here in my rundown, the Fear, the Fear Street, Street movies. movies. Yep, all three of them. The movies that made us. Yep, which is a Netflix show. Dave Season 2. Yep. Luca. Mm-hmm. And Batman The Long Halloween. Oh, sorry. Both. No, only one of them. You'll find out which one <laughs> later on. Be a real cliffhanger. Hello, Mac. This is William Hung. And you deserve so much credit. You just got hunged. That scared the shit out of me. It was so much louder than your voice. It scared the fuck out of me. I got a, I got a hang real quick. William hanged. Have you um, ever seen the clip of Conan O'Brien when Jennifer Gardner tells him that hung is not a word and he went to Harvard and he should be embarrassed? And then he pulls out a dictionary live on the show and he's like, hung. And he shows her up on the air and her face. Oh, that's incredible. She is that's haunted incredible. by that. That's a perfect little Conan response. Yeah. Like, yep. like when he actually like has his mind on something, he's fucking so good with it. Yeah. So good with it. Um, yeah. And then next week we're going to be talking about stuff uh, like free guy and other shit. We've seen jungle, uh, cruise, jungle cruise space jam. Yeah. Yeah. So this will be a real two parter, but let's get into hey, uh, the first Mac, three movies. Here. Speaking of parters. Segway. You see what I just did right there? Let's all go to the goovies. These guys are pretty neat. There we go. Mac, <laughs> first one up here is the Fear Street movies. And the there saga. are three of these, and they're making yeah. more. Thank you, right. R.L. Stein. Oh. Well, so, yeah, the whole thing, um, I was not aware of this until I Googled it. Mm-hmm. I figured... These movies were a straight adaptation of three R.L. Stein books. Not the case, Goo. No. Not the case no. whatsoever. R.L. Stein, like he has the Goosebumps series, has the Fear Street series. Oh. So what they did for these movies is sort of took ideas 
uh, loose adaptations and turned them into three movies. But there's like fucking a hundred Fear Street books. So there's all sorts of ideas they can play around with here to make more uh, movies. But right now we've got Fear Street Part 1, Part 2, Part 3, 94, 78, 16, 66. Let me ask you a question really quickly. Did yeah. Arl Stein also do, hey, there's a clock in my wall and it's making noise? Oh, I hope not, but he might have. He might have. That he seems like an R.L. Stein story. Rocky Walls does. Seem he like also did Stein. like part one, two, and three of There's a Dummy in My Room. The Goosebumps? <laughs> Which one's that? Which? I don't know that one. It's the mannequin, and then he has a family by the end. What's your favorite um, Goosebumps story? Now that we're onto that, F. Fear Street. Oh, boy. Let's talk Goosebumps. I don't know. I haven't read a Goosebumps. Like, I remember distinctly like Animorphs stories. Yeah, yeah. I don't remember distinct Goosebumps stories. So. I always think back to the TV show because I don't know how to read, but mm -hmm. I'm mistaken Goosebumps and Are You Afraid of the Dark all the time. For sure. So yeah. whenever I think back to a Goosebumps story, I think back to the clown in the attic that has blue blood or the Will Friedle episode. Right, 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 right. Yeah. yeah, I don't recall any of the Goosebumps stories, really, even though I supposedly, quote unquote, read a lot of those books. So check out this October for Goosebumps. <laughs> These Fear Street movies, by the way, free to stream on Netflix, yes. all three of them. Mm -hmm. Fear Street Part 1, 1994. It is a rated R drama, horror, and mystery with a runtime of 107 minutes. Goo on Rotten Tomatoes, 83% from the critics, only 63% from the audience. I get you that. I think it would almost be the other way, critics' audience flip. So what I'll say about that is I think the aggregate, the mean, the median. No, the median is not the correct word here. But when you add those together and you divide them... Kind of where it should be. Maybe a little bit lower. Okay. All right. Yeah. On Metacritic, a 67. Just decent. That's pretty high, decent. right? For a horror yeah, for, movie for on Netflix? Movie, it's pretty decent. Yeah. yeah. Um, this is written by Kyle Killen and Phil uh, Grazia Day, who we, they're like pretty new. They haven't really done much, obviously based on the R.L. Stein books. Directed by Lee Janiak. Uh, this woman, I don't know. We don't really know. They're, it's all really like newbies. Probably people that Netflix. So I know her from Fear Street Part 2, 1978. Oh, that's where you would know her from. Yeah. And then I also know her from Fear Street Part 3, <laughs> 1666. Uh, by the way, she did direct all three of these. Yeah, that was the joke that I just made. <laughs> A circle of, well, maybe she wrote the other two. She has a writing credit on the other two. Oh. A circle of teenage friends accidentally encounter the ancient evil responsible for a series of brutal murders that have plagued their town for over 300 years. Welcome to Shadyside. Okay, so I liked 1994, and I will mm -hmm. say, although not my favorite of the three, I think it's my favorite cast. It is my favorite of the three. Okay. Because I think it's the most, um, it surprises you the most, I guess. It has a couple things that I didn't expect to happen that happens. Yeah. But 78 is more of your like your classic horror film. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of people... Are a little by the numbers, well. yeah. So this stars Kiana Madeira as Dina. I thought she was good in all three. Yeah, she was pretty good. Yeah. Uh, Olivia Scott Welch as Samantha Frazier, who's her love interest mm -hmm. in this. Uh, Benjamin Flores Jr. as Josh, Dina's little brother. Uh, Julia Rewald. Rewald? Rewald as Kate. Uh, she's the pale brunette one. Mm -hmm. Maya Hawk is uh, Drew Barrymore, basically, at the beginning as Heather. And No, she's it, playing Drew Barrymore. Yeah, she's playing Drew. <laughs> and then we get uh, Jillian Jacobs at the end of this as quote-unquote Gillian Cindy. Jacobs. Gillian. But I'm not calling her Gillian. That's how it's spelled and pronounced. <laughs> I've, uh, <laughs> I've already seated Killian Murphy. I'm not calling her Gillian Jacobs. Not doing it. 
Okay, that's a weird line in the sand, I suppose, but... Well, because it should be Cillian. It should be Cillian, right? No. Yeah, it should be. <laughs> Your name is Letters? <laughs> All names are Letters. Um, you know, as far as ghost stories go, I don't really love ghost stories, but mm-hmm. they do a good job setting enough, like, real life yeah. in this, real teen drama sort of stuff. Yeah. And it's fast-paced. They don't really waste any time in this first one. The setup is simple. The setup is quick. Yeah. You have like your classic town rivalries between two high schools. Like they do a really good job getting you into the story. And so much so that you don't really necessarily need to buy into the ghost story part of it. I suppose too, that this one does have the most intrigue of like, Oh, what's going to happen next. Right. Because with the other two, it's a little by the numbers. And then the third one is fairly predictable. Well, right, because this one's setting up the next two, so yeah. you really don't know where like, it's going Like, oh, go. where are all these murderers coming from? <laughs> right. And I, I like that it's not just the one murderer, the one Michael Myers they got to get away from, which is really what the second one is. Yeah. This is like a three-headed monster. And then they do your classic, um, we think we've defeated them, right? And like, ah, not so fast, yeah. young one. Well, speaking of not so fast, about a week later, the second one came out. um obviously uh you know we won't spoil these if you haven't seen them no um there are there is some good stuff at the end of of both of the first two they're a fun watch i would say the first two are a fun watch funnish that was they were fun to me i i I think i enjoyed them more but i also like horror movies more than you do too i like horror movies i like being spooked i would say i love them it's interesting the ghosts (laughs) so like for me i i think i have this Shit, I think I have it number nine or ten on the year for me. I believe I gave it thirty-two hot dogs. It's like, it's better than average. It's better than I anticipated. There's some, there's a couple good twists um, in the third act here, and I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed Fear Street '94. I think I have a little bit lower. I think I have all three of these in the middle of my tiers for like the year. Um, I think I was a little underwhelmed because they were sold a little too high to me. How are they sold high to you? People are like, oh, these are really good. And they were fine. Let's get on to 1978 real quick. All right. Fear Street Part 2, 1978. This is another rated R drama horror mystery with a runtime of 109 minutes, two minutes longer than the first one. On Rotten Tomatoes, Goo, much higher scores for the audience. Uh, Critics, 88%, so five points higher. Audience at 80% for this one, up from 63. And then Metacritic at 61, so actually lower than the first one. So that's a really interesting up and down there. This almost tells me that everyone that liked the first one obviously watched the second one. So maybe a lot of that 37% didn't watch the second one because they didn't like the first one. Well, that makes which sense. Which is why you probably have an inflated audience score there. Uh, this is written by Zach Okowich, Lee Janiak, and Phil Graz- Grazia de. There we go. Also directed by Lee, as we previously mentioned. Synopsis for this one, Goo. Shady Side, 1978. School's out for summer, and the activities at Camp Nightwing are about to begin. But when another shady sider is possessed with the urge to kill, the fun in the sun becomes a gruesome fight for survival. So not to spoil anything. I don't want anybody to have the worst day at their job. But pretty much at the beginning of this movie, you kind of saw what was coming. Yeah, and they do a good job at the end of the first one, tying in Jillian Jacobs' character to this yeah. one. It's a really good setup for the second movie. Um, but yeah, to your point, you pretty much know exactly what's going to happen exactly. in this movie, but they still do it pretty well. The way they do it is fun. 
again. I'll use that word. Again. But I I'll will that say word. that Sadie Sink and Emily Rudd, who play Ziggy and Cindy Berman, are both very good in this. Yeah, so Sadie Sink, we saw her in season uh, three, uh, maybe even season two of Stranger Things. She's the little ginger girl. She's yeah. actually really, really good in this. Yeah, she's really good. And then Emily Rudd is her older sister in love with that girl. I like the whole thing she's got going on there. Those two do a really good job. Uh, you have Ryan Simpkins uh, plays Alice. McCabe Sly plays the axe murderer, Tommy Slater. Uh, and then, of course, we get a little bit of adult say, uh, Ziggy, which is uh, Jillian Jacobs. Ziggy played guitar. This one is just like your quintessential. I know it says 78, but we saw a lot of those camp movies in the 80s. And this is exactly that. Yeah, it's more of like it should have been 82 or 83 or right. something like that. Right, right. Yeah. But they do a good job on it. And, and it's one of those things, even though what I know what's going to happen, I, I, you know, I didn't take any breaks. And at 109 minutes, it's not too long. It's it's not as fast paced as the first one because they mm -hmm. have to do a little more setup. But once you get going, like with the kids playing Capture the Flag or whatever in the woods, that's a great setup for, you know, this story. And then you sort of get, um, I don't know, the ending in this one isn't as good as the first one. Either. No. No, it isn't. I think I have this like two dogs lower than the first one. I say I like I think I have the first one at thirty-two. This one's at thirty. I might have these like the same amount of dogs, but I would just take this one over the first one, and then part three, I would move it like further down the list on my movies. What I've seen so far, when I was looking at my list of uh, twenty twenty-one movies earlier, is this top ten that kind of ends with Fear Street ninety-four. There's like a big drop off after that. So all these Fear Streets kind of right in that next little range because I've. The rest of the movies have all been pretty bad. Mm -hmm. um, so I have this at 30. I think I have it 12th on the air for me, maybe 13th. It's good. It's good. So I also have this at like 30, like a 75. But then if you're looking at 94, I would have that around like a 29 or a 28, but very similar. All right. So I'm higher on the first one. We're yeah. about the same on the second one. Goo Fear Street Part 3, 1666. This one was a, rated a R task to see. Yeah. So much show. I still haven't finished it. How about that? Well, so thing? let me tell you right now. Yeah. Halfway through, now yeah. I don't think this is a spoiler, but they do go back to 1994. Really? Yes. So I didn't even make it that far. So that might help you, and I understand completely where you're coming from because I am so out on witch stories. Yeah. And this is a very generic witch story. Yeah, it really it, it's R-rated, so it keeps in theme with the other two. It's quote unquote horror mystery, but it's so much more slow paced. Yeah. Um, less drama. And it's longer somehow. Runtime of 114. Because they go the back. Longest of the three. But also, once again, insanely predictable. Yeah, and to that point, look look at these scores. 90% from the critics on Rotten Tomatoes, the highest of the three. 77% from the audience, so lower than the second one, but higher than the first. Because it gave but the people Metacritic, what they wanted. The highest of the three. Oof. So I'm wondering like what the critics saw in this that they liked so much. I was so bored during this. It is. It's it's boring. It's not bad. Don't get us wrong. It's not bad, but it is boring. And so when you make a boring horror movie, it has to be A+. Like, this is, like, right around that floating. It isn't failing, but yeah. it's definitely something I'm never going to watch again. Right, right. And so this is written, again, by Phil and Lee, who had a hand in the other two, and also Kate Treffrey. So each movie has, like, a third different writer, which I think they probably brought in for, you know, sort of time era sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, synopsis of this one, The Origins of Sarah Fear's Curse are finally revealed as history comes full circle on a night that changes the lives of Shady Siders forever. And we didn't really make this clear from the jump, but these movies, these three movies are tied in because of this Sarah Fear ghost story curse. 
And they do do a good job sort of connecting those dots. But when you get to the third one, you sort of don't care about no. Sarah Fear. Uh, movie two, I didn't really care about Sarah right. Fear. What they do do a good job of in this third one is sort of combining the cast of the first two, and they all do a pretty good job. So yeah. you have Diana Madeira as like Sarah Fear, but not really. She sort of just embodies her. Dina being sent back in time. It's a lot like when Russell Crowe dies in Gladiator, and then he gets reincarnated as different people to save Christians. <laughs> That's a callback Olivia to last Scott week, guys. Welch as Hannah Miller, who also plays her love interest in this one, as she did in the first one. Ashley Zuckerman as Solomon Good. I think he's the one like leading uh, the charge against the witches in the town. Right. Uh, Benjamin Flores Jr. again plays uh, Dina's brother, but this time she's Henry. Elizabeth Scopel is the quote-unquote real Sarah Fair. She's the one you see in some of the flashbacks separate from Dina. Randy Havens, who we know from Stranger Things, plays George Fear, the father. Uh, Julia Rewald is Lizzie. Sadie Sink is Constance. Emily Rudd is Abigail. And then, of course, we get Gillian Jacobs again. This one just sort of fizzles out for me. And again, obviously, I haven't finished it. So again, Mac hasn't better. finished the movie, but yeah. just keep in mind it fizzles out for him. I don't know. It, it's just like if you're going to like the third movie's got to be you can't okay, be explaining so, things in the third So let movie. me help you out here. You just yeah. need to get to the 1994 part. And I think that you will find the second half to be pretty satisfactory. So it's just I'm the about, first half is super right boring. Yeah. I'm almost an hour in. I have like an hour left. Yeah. So I got to be right on the precipice of that. And it's almost like the second half of the movie was made for you or made for people like you that okay. likes to have things tied up and like this big epic ending type of stuff. Yeah, but so so that is that sort of inceptiony where everything gets tied up on multi levels in the story here? Both no. 1666 and 94? No, just the 94 because that's the conclusion okay. of the story. Gotcha, gotcha. So they pretty much get rid of 1666 halfway through? Well, they explained what happened in 1666. Right. And then right. they jumped that's... back to 94. Okay. So, huh. So I guess maybe that's why 1666 has the higher scores here. Yeah. It's because if you liked 94, you're going to like where they finish it off. They're finishing so you off might be story. saying, Goo, that's a semi-spoiler, but I feel like I'm saying this to help you get through the first half no, of the movie. No, you have to. You yeah. have to because it's not, it's not great. Because also... Great. Like you said, this is like almost two hours long, yeah. and midway through, and they're still in 1666, I'm like, where are yeah. they going with this? How are they going to fill the second half of this movie? Right, and you know, we spoke about not really loving ghost stories, at least I don't. I definitely don't like witch stories, so that's like the other part of it. The issue with witch stories is that they're all so similar, and you really can't change them that much. Right, it's all Salem witch trials-esque, yeah. Yeah. and we've seen that, especially in this area. A hundred thousand times. Yeah. So it just gets old quick. So I do recommend these. I would say go into them just, you know, these aren't the best to me, but they are good enough. I would take 78, then 94, then 1666. And just keep this in mind. The twist is fairly obvious. I said it again. I'm going to do it one more time later on because, you know, comedy comes in threes. Right. right. You know, like jizz. <laughs> well, twins aren't funny, but triplets that's well think that's about the triplets that played the twins on full house the hilarious waiter brothers they were hilarious <laughs> yeah so this is sort of what i've seen for me is like 25 26 hot dogs i guess if i finish it it might go up a few it floats but barely okay barely mac let's move on to something i found a bit more enjoyable because i really mm -hmm. do like this series granted i like the toys that made us over this but, really? Yes. The movies oh, that made us. I this one. Okay. Well, maybe I, I'm a bit of a toy boy. 
yeah. you know? They've also covered some toy lines that I've really enjoyed over my lifetime, so that helps out too. But the movies that made us on Netflix, we got a new season, and it covers four movies that are very influential. Yeah, season one uh, did Elf. Right? No, no. So that was the Christmas series of Elf and Hall oh, of uh, Elf and Home Alone, and yes. then yes, yes, season yes. one was Die Hard, Ghostbusters, blanking on the other two. Yeah, I don't remember either. Which tells you maybe season two is better. I did enjoy season one, but yeah, yeah these have the four. series and the idea of it is great, yes. and they're in and out. It's like 40, 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. They don't waste too much time. It's basically small documentaries. And I would say that on three of these, they focused on super interesting things. Yeah. One of them I found extremely boring, and we'll get to that in one second. Okay. Well, the four movies they did is Back to the Future, Pretty Woman, Jurassic Park, and Forrest Gump. And so they really do try to focus on the movies that made us. All four movies had a lasting or had a huge impact then and have had a lasting impact since. So I think they do a good job sticking to the theme of the show. But again, they've only needed to do, what, eight movies in the two seasons plus the Christmas one, 10 movies so far, 12 movies, whatever it is. So I would say that the standout from this season, the one that if you say I can only watch one of these, it's the Jurassic Park one. Because they go behind the scenes of the VFX, of the special effects, of how they almost went with stop motion. And then when they brought in the guys to fix the blurs, they're like, oh, we can actually do this on the computer. And I love this story. Yeah, it was your classic, like, you have these techniques that have been taught for 50 years in filmmaking. Yeah. And so all these classic techniques in these classic, classically trained directors, producers don't want to hear about the new stuff that because that doesn't work. Yeah. So it's essentially a story of these, like, underdog CGI guys just doing it anyways yeah. for proof of concept. And then once the old school guys see the capabilities of the computers, mm-hmm. they're like, oh, shit. This is the way it's going. And they do the old, um, you know, hey, my new thing is on the back computer over here. Don't look at this. You don't want to see right, this. Right. And then yeah, when the executive yeah. sees it, they're like, whoa, what's this? Right. right. And, and, you know, I talked about it briefly last week, a couple of weeks ago when we were sort of teasing this. Everyone always points to Star Wars as sort of changing the way movies were made because of special effects. Yeah. Uh, George Lucas's Industrial Light and Magic. That's the name of it, right? Yep. And that company works on Jurassic Park as well as like the Terminator movies too. Right. Yeah. Right. And so a lot of, yeah, Terminator is another one. T2 is another one that visual effects kind of blew people's minds. But Jurassic Park was like a new step in yes. that. And, you know, we all, we've always known that Jurassic Park was like a different movie than all everything before it. But this show and this episode does such a good job showing that it truly changed filmmaking. Like Jurassic Park, this big blockbuster film actually changed filmmaking. And what's nuts is that this movie is now almost 30 years old, which is nuts, 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 Mac. And it still looks beautiful. Yeah, it holds up pretty well. And they did a good job because, and we're kind of getting back to that, right? We we sort of went overboard with the CGI and, Mm -hmm. and, the Star Wars prequels is a perfect example of that. And now we're working back, and uh, we see it a bit with The Mandalorian, with some practical effects and some animatronics that, especially for up-close stuff, that yeah. it just makes more sense to use, mixed in with the CGI. And a lot of what they're doing now is instead of the green screen background, they have um, just a big television. They have this basically. giant video background that wraps right. around the entire studio. So they, they well, they build... Uh, a CGI world, yeah. and the, as the camera moves against that screen, the world moves with yes. it, and that's 
the next evolution evolution of the CGI stuff. So it's crazy how it's all tied in together. Which is why I'm so excited to see Obi-Wan Kenobi with Ewan McGregor actually acting off of other things and other people, and it's not all right. tennis balls and Anakin Skywalker. Not only does it look better than going in and post and putting stuff on a blue or green screen, the actors on set are able to yeah. visualize things better and hypothetically do a better job at their job. So that's why this is so important. So now to get back to the thing that we're actually talking about, as opposed to the evolution of visual effects. <laughs> I think the second most interesting one here would be Pretty Woman. I agree. And the I story agree. of how they took this movie called 3000, this very serious movie. Dark. Dark. Da literal dark prostitute movie. That ends with her getting out of the car and throwing the money back in his face and then getting on the ground and picking it all up and then taking her friend to Disney World. Right. This is a very good one and how they picked Julia Roberts, this fairly unknown, very early, and they stuck with her. And then how she got Richard Gere to get into the movie. So first of all, Pretty Woman is, of these four movies, the one that I would like the least, I guess you would say. Yeah. I like it more after watching Agreed. this episode, knowing what went into it. And so Julia Roberts is this no one who's who only really was in what Mystic Pizza was the yep. one thing people yep. kind of knew her from. Mm -hmm. So she really wasn't well known. She had a laugh. And, she knew how yeah. to laugh. Right, right. She knew how to laugh. Great smile. Obviously a, a very attractive female. And so they're looking for her counterpart. And you never would have thought you would have got Richard Gere for this script, but Julia Roberts pretty much pretty woman's him. She basically convinces him to do the movie. Julia Roberts also, you know, it was bought by Disney. Which is a huge yeah. thing, too. So that yeah. was a big selling point as well. Yeah, and uh, this is an absolutely perfect example of why it's important to have a peer editor or someone you trust to look over your work and, and change things. Because the dude who wrote the script for 3000 obviously had a good central idea. Yeah. But he dove so deep into the idea that he lost sight of the bigger picture. He wanted to make the story about a baseball player who thought he had 3,000 hits. And it turns out he only had 2,998, and he had to come back to the Milwaukee Brewers. Right. And he ends right. up getting his 3,000th hit on a bunt. There you go. Or his 299. Ah, Bernie Mac's story is a little confusing to me sometimes. But T-Rex could hit bombs. Bombs. Absolute yeah. bombs. That guy is yoked. Yeah, this Pretty Woman story originally was super dark, and then once Disney got their hands on it and it went through some rewrites, it – ends up in, in turning into the story we saw on screen. And I also really liked the little tidbit, and we've seen this right with Friends and the Rachel haircut. Uh, they talk about the fashion in this movie and how iconic it is. And they show a little bit how uh, some of the things she wear in the, wore in this movie are still relevant today in the fashion world, which I really liked. Also the story of how you have this dark, dark script and you bring in Gary Marshall. Yeah, right, right. And I also love how he would have his eyes closed on the set and they're like, are you paying attention? And he's like, I'm <laughs> counting the beats between the jokes. Right. <laughs> which is funny because, yeah. you, you know, some people work that way. Their brains work that way. He, they don't need to see it. They don't need to visualize it. They just need to hear yeah. that literal ticks of the clock in their head then at number three and this is not a bad episode but the forrest gump story and i thought some interesting tidbits here are the woman that found the script and she needed to have this script made and then also how zemeckis and tom hanks put money into the movie just to get a couple more of those shots in there and then they got paid off huge yeah i think i liked the back to the future episode a little more than this one but both of these two i think because we have talked about both movies so much. We knew a lot of what yeah. they tell us in this show. So there wasn't as much enlightening information in these two as there were in the other two, at least for you and I. 
Um, but seeing how much Zemeckis and Hanks cared about the script mm-hmm. and making this movie was pretty cool because you're right. And even now we look back on this on this movie and you're like, ah, some things were kind of dumb mm-hmm. and some of the chances they, they made don't look so great now. But back then, like believing in, in such a thing, such an offbeat script, I mean, you, you have to give him credit. Also, speaking of things that we might not have known is that they didn't know what type of voice to have for Tom Hanks in this movie for Forrest Gump. Right. And they pretty much modeled it after the kid that is Forrest Gump at the beginning, who's not an actor. Yeah, that was. I think that's the best tidbit from the whole movie. Yeah, because a lot of the criticism of the movie is the way yeah. Hanks voices Forrest Gump in the accent and and whatnot. And there was no blueprint for this, at least you know not at the time for him to yeah. look at an actor sort of like having something to mimic. So the little kid they brought in to play young Forrest, Hanks just said, "Fuck it, this kid's got this little molassesy Southern drawl, a little of a Biff whiff." And he's that's like, what he said at the time. He's like, this sounds like the future Biff Whiff. <laughs> Hanks just modeled yeah. adult Force Gump after child Force Gump. And it was actually, I think it was a great decision. And I also love the fact that the people that worked on the movie are like, wait, is this the voice that we're going with? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I guess so. And then finally, this is one that I actually found super boring and not okay. interesting, and that is Back yeah. to the Future. Yeah, I think because you knew a lot of what they were telling us. Well, there wasn't really anything new in it, yeah. Well, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like We yeah. were sort of a victim of ourselves here because we've talked about Back to the Future so much. Um, but I think for a lot of people, there was a lot of, there's a lot of new information in there. And you know, it's not as influential as, say, Star Wars or Jurassic Park. Yeah. But the way they made this movie changed the way you know, movies were made as well. So for this season, I would recommend highly the Jurassic Park and the Pretty Woman episode. And then if you have time, check out the other two. Yeah, and they're super quick watches. They're all yeah. under an hour. So you really could watch all four in a night. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mac, now let's move on to a television show that just wrapped up last week, a show that we loved season one of. And that is Dave on FX. Dave season two, a rated TVMA comedy, music, but especially this season, drama more than anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is 10 30-minute episodes with a Rotten Tomato score of 91% from the critics, 74% from the audience, 84 on Metacritic. The critics are eating up season two of Dave. And they didn't so much in season one. Really? This is created by Dave Bird and Jeff Schaefer. Dave Bird, of course, is LD Lil Dicky. Synopsis, a neurotic mid 20 suburbanite is convinced he's destined to be one of the greatest rappers of all time. Now he's got to prove it to everyone else. That is more a synopsis for season one than it is season two. Agreed. That's just like a series synopsis. Season two, it's more now that he's shown he has some greatness, he has a hard time replicating it. It's mm-hmm. that classic second hit syndrome, right? Everyone sort of gets their one and then what's the follow up? And that's what we're dealing with a lot of in season two for Dave. So he pretty much thinks that he has one shot at a debut album and he wants it to be the biggest debut album of all time. And you pretty much, not to spoil anything here, but don't get much music until that final episode. Right, right. And sort of everything comes to a head in the last couple episodes, but it does start slow. This stars Dave Bird, as I said, as Dave, Little Dicky, 
Andrew Santino as Mike. He's the ginger manager. Yep, you get less of him in season two than in season one. Um, he's still funny, but I think he's funnier in season one. You might be right, but he's still one of the funnier yeah. uh, characters on the show. Gata as Gata, who is the best character on the show, easily. Yeah. I agree. He's, he might be yeah. the best character on television right now. I don't know about so, that, but he's very good. Okay. Taylor Miziak as Allie Wernick, who uh, plays Dave's girlfriend in season one, ex-girlfriend in season two. Christine Coe as Emma, who is one of Dave's longtime friends. She hooks up with Els on and off, it seems mm -hmm. like. Uh, and then Travis Bennett as Els, who is uh, Lil Dicky's DJ, producer sort of thing. Uh, Gina Hecht and David Pamer play Carol and Don Bird, uh, Lil Dicky's parents, and they're fucking funny every single time they're on the yes. screen. Uh, and then we have Benny Blanco back this time, more Benny Blanco than in season one. And there's an episode that I kind of outright hated with Benny Blanco in season I two. I didn't much care for it either. And it seems to be a real licorice episode where there are people that outright love it and then people that outright hate it. Like, there's no one in between here. They just went a little too far for me. Okay. And, you know, I'm a weird bird. You're a weird bird. Not to make Dave Bird puns here, but it just, they went overboard with it. A they little bit. It. Yeah. They killed it. And I think intentionally what this season does is they make you hate Dave in those first two episodes. You fucking hate him. You can't stand him. Everyone's kind of a dickhead to each other because they're all dealing with this stress, these outside things going on. And they're all all of their jobs are sort of predicated upon the success of Lil Dicky. And he's miserable. He's not doing anything. So that's all like boiling up. But then they do, I think it's the fifth episode when Dave gets to the bar mitzvah. Yeah. That's when everything changes. So I think the first four episodes aren't very good, but they're not bad. Well, I they're think there. the first two there's episodes are bad. I wouldn't call them bad. But there's a perfect. You said the third episode you hated. We just discussed this. Yes. Yeah. One, I would say one episode is bad, not all four. But I do think that episodes four through seven, there's at least something good in every one of the episodes, but it does have an issue where it meanders a bit too much, or there's just something a bit off. Like the Bar Mitzvah episode, I think is a good episode for Dave, but I think that Mike is annoying in it, and the Gata storyline doesn't go anywhere. Oh, I don't agree at all. Yeah, so the first four aren't great, and then you get the fourth one's the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar one, which sort of ramps up. Uh, it gets better, and that's the one thing season two uh, lacks in is comedy. Season one, the comedy is littered throughout. Season two is more of a character story and drama-based, which you know it takes you a little bit to get used to, which is a lot of those first four episodes. But then episode five is the Bob Mitzvah episode when you have that incredible scene between Dave and Els yeah. playing the one-on-one -on -one basketball, which is super real. Gata gets his fucking car towed. He spends the whole night outside. He's having like the worst day of his life. He shows up to the bar mitzvah after Dave and Els dip, and he actually saves the bar mitzvah. I thought that was a great episode, yeah. a great little small redemption story for Gata. And then episode six was Somebody Date Me, the episode with um, Doja Cat. Yeah, that was a Doja very good Cat episode. episode yeah. Great episode. Yeah. And a perfect, as a single man in his 30s, a perfect encapsulation of what that swiping experiences like they absolutely nailed that and then you get the seventh episode is ad man where dave's you know doing uh the up and coming stuff promoting the rap which actually happened in 2015 or 16 for a little dicky and then episode eight was the parents episode which i love because they're funny every time episode nine is really when little dicky has his breakthrough and sort of comes back to life there and then episode 10 the finale is actually the highest rated episode of the series so far and it builds, not builds, the the 
two seasons worth of Gator storyline that has built comes to a great payoff at the end of, of this episode. So I think that the only issue that I have with this season is, like you said, the lack of comedy. And in that respect, it reminds me of another FX show, which is Louie. And the first episode of uh, the first season of Louie is hilarious. And then somewhere in season two, he's like, you know what? I want this to be a drama. And then season three is not funny at all. And so this is, goes into what I'm sort of curious about. Season one, 76% from the critics as mm -hmm. opposed to 91 for season two. 64 on Metacritic as yeah. opposed to 84. Flip that. Audience score season one, 91. Season two, 74. So I think it's pretty clear we all enjoyed season one more. It's beat for beat better. It's much funnier. Even the finale was just as good as well, the finale in season two. I think two. the finale in season one and the rap at the end of season one is way better. And well, I think and the, I liked the finale of season two, but season two doesn't really have any big standout episodes. It has standout moments, but no standout episodes that are I like, oh, shit. I think the finale shit. is. I think the finale but is. But if you're looking at the up. episodes in general of both seasons, that's like the fifth or sixth best episode. No, I don't agree. Okay. I don't agree at all. And people are talk, rightfully so talking about this uh, on the interwebs. Gator's performance in the finale of uh, someone who suffers from multiple you know, mental health issues yeah. is fucking incredible. And then to see him get pulled back up to that level in the end with Dave, I thought was awesome. You know, I didn't cry. Some people have been saying they're crying about it, but I think Gata rightfully deserves uh, an Emmy nomination. If not a win, he was fucking awesome. Or your $50 on cameo. Yes. For a nice little cameo. He's, he's already gone up in the prices smartly. Yes. But yeah, I, I definitely liked season one more. Season one was nearly a 40-dog season for me. It's just much funnier. Beat for beat, it's better. Season two gets more into the drama and whatnot. So I'm interested to see where season three goes because I am definitely over the Dave writer's block thing. I don't need to see more of that. Mm -hmm. It's a bad way to describe it because Entourage stinks as a show. But I want this show to be more Entourage-ish where, where Dave's group, goes out and does funny things, right? So what we're doing with this show is Mac is saying, I want it to be more like Entourage. And I'm saying it's comparable to the guy that has been canceled by Hollywood. <laughs> That's what we have done. Uh, the, the idea of Entourage. Don't okay. do Entourage. The idea. Don't entourage. do the Entourage. Entourage. <laughs> uh, what would you give this season dog score wise? 33 or 34, like a B, because the okay. first couple episodes are really tough to get through. And yeah. obviously that is to have it build up to the end. But I didn't get that much enjoyability out of this season. Yeah, that's fair. I'm not too much higher than you. I think I'm 35, 36. But those first four episodes really do bring it down because the last five or last six or so, the five or six, the last six, I all enjoyed greatly. If you just get through the first two seasons of this television show, it really pays <laughs> off by by season four. You know, that, I'm going to watch it eventually, but yeah. that's the problem with The Wire. Everyone tells me I got to make it through two seasons yeah. and then I'll like it. Like what? It's a five season show. Mac, do you want to get to these last two very quickly or do you want to save these for next week? Yeah, I don't have much. So I'll, I'll go quickly on okay. Luca here. Uh, Luca is your latest Pixar release. It's a rated PG animation adventure and comedy. Runtime of 95 minutes, so it's quick, but it doesn't feel like it. Rotten Tomato score of 91% from the critics, 87% from the audience, a 71 on Metacritic. So everyone seems to be liking this, but then the people I talk to that I actually know don't seem to like it. I don't know. Written by Enrico Casarosa, Enrico Redhouse, 
Jesse Andrews, and Simon Stevenson. Uh, so those three, we don't really know from anything. They're all kind of newbies. Uh, Enrico Casarosa has worked in other Pixar movies, so it seems like they've sort of groomed him for this position. Uh, it was directed by Enrico Casarosa. The stars Jacob Tremblay as Luca Pagoro, the main uh, actor here. Jack Dylan Grazer as the friend Alberto Scorfano. Emma Berman as Julia Macovaldo. And then Maya Rudolph and Jim Gaffigan play Luca's parents, which is, uh, they're both great. Obviously. Is her name Mamma Mia? <laughs> yeah. And my main thought on this, Goo, is it's fine, right? Classic, it's fine. It's a Pixar. Like, baseline Pixar movies are going to be fine. But that's really what this is. It's not too much higher than that. It's not the worst Pixar movie. There's a couple Cars movies that are worse. The Good Dinosaur is probably worse. Monsters U might be worse. But it's for sure bottom tier Pixar. And it's just really not... It doesn't have the same fun and magic as most Pixar films do. Like, it has, like, a cool device with the sea monsters turning into humans. But it's just, it's super paint by numbers. And there's no surprise at all in this movie. I don't know. It just seemed like it was too boring for what the idea is. Okay. And so I, I probably have it, like, 28, 29, 30, that range. Which, again, is, like, sort of the bottom barrel of Pixar movies. We're talking about Pixar here. So it's it's fine. I don't think any, you know, anyone's going to hate it, but I definitely can't recommend it to people. And then another animated movie, and this is one that I caught. It's actually two movies. It's parts one and two, and it really could have been one movie because each of them are about 80 minutes long, and that is Batman The Long Halloween Parts 1 and 2. Both of them are pretty much centralized around Batman investigating a murder spree that takes place on holidays. What is the name of this? Uh, oh, uh, this what is thing? that? The Long Halloween. Mac, what do you oh. got there? I am, for the third day in a row, the streak is alive, drinking a pumpkin cold brew coffee from Dunkin' Donuts. That's right. It's what, August 16th, August 20th? 20th. Whatever fucking day it is right 20th. now. 20th, yeah. I am drinking pumpies already. I don't care. I got no shame in it. Pumpkin cold brew. Well done, Mac. So this stars a very good voice cast that I think is anchored by Josh Dumel as Harvey Dent Two-Face. Naya Rivera as Catwoman, and then Troy Baker. I'm sorry, what? R.I.P. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, no re-two-packed for Naya? Re-five-packed. Troy Baker doing his best Mark Hamill impression as the Joker. And I thought that both of these were very good, very faithful to the comics. And I think that it does a great job in its depiction of Harvey Dent's descent into madness and maybe the best that we've ever seen with an animated or live action, whatever it is. I love that. It's a great use of almost all of Batman's rogues gallery, which is always good. I love the Batman-Catwoman dynamic in the movie. She's more of a sidekick to him, or at least an anti-hero that's working alongside him. I always like those stories. I highly recommend this. If you can find this, because the issue right now is that you have to buy these, possibly hard copy or download, 20 bucks a piece. That's no bueno. That's no bueno. Especially when you're saying it could have been one movie, so it could have been 20 bucks for the whole shebang, but mm -hmm. you're saying it's 40 bucks for the whole shebang, right? Right, because it's two That's separate a movies of 80 That's minutes a piece. Right. right, right. That's a lot. It is, but these are very good, and my only issue beyond the price is with an animated movie, although I do think the animation is good, it is kind of what DC's been rolling with the past couple of years. It looks very similar to that. And this is an issue that I have with a lot of animated stuff that isn't like top tier Disney Pixar stuff is that the dialogue sometimes feels a little too stilted 
and it feels like, um, you know, you talk, I talk, you talk, and it doesn't feel like a conversation. Yeah, not normal conversation. It right. does have a bit of that in here. Hmm. You can sort of let that go um, if it was maybe the 180 minute thing, but 160 minutes of that is a lot of robotic conversations. I also don't love Jansen Ackles as Bruce Wayne Batman, but that's just me. Mm. So he's the guy from Supernatural, right? Correct. So um, I would give part two. It's maybe my fifth or sixth favorite movie on the year. I really enjoy Ooh. that. And then part one is like right behind that. Maybe like two movies behind there. But part so is two part is very two good. A conclusion or a to be continued? Continuation and then a conclusion. Right. I know. It yes. So the there's only one, two parts. So. Yes. Two okay. parts. All right. Gotcha. Let's get into Max Zach. And Max Zach could be anything. It could be a boat. It could even be goo forgetting to change the title cards at the bottom of the screen. <laughs> Mac, this week in your sack, very quickly got a second episode of What If, and this week it was What If T'Challa was Star-Lord. And although I think I just don't love this series... I think this episode is what I want the show to be. Yes. And that is because there was wholesale changes in yes. the timeline. Not a small one that just really flipped two characters. But T'Challa becoming Star-Lord changed the whole entire universe. The whole universe. Mm -hmm. Now, some of the changes I'm not sure I buy, specifically the Thanos a stuff. A bit too silly. Sort of yeah. It was silly, up, right? Almost. It was silly. Yeah. It was silly. I did like seeing Thanos fight for good. Yeah. That was kind of cool. And I really liked the team-ups they had in this. It also, you know, changes the future for Nebula. Everything about this was good. That said, I, I wanted more. Right? Yeah. I wanted a You wanted a longer more. episode, right? Yeah, yeah. I want more. I want to I want to sit more bathe in this timeline. T'Challa is just such a cool character yeah. as Black Panther or Star Lord. When you're an idealist, for better or worse, the way Thanos is, you're a very compelling character because it's a bit like the Batman effect, right? He can't kill anyone, mm -hmm. so that's constantly getting tested. And that's what we have here. Star-Lord T'Challa being so black and white about things convinces other people to get on his side. So it was cool just seeing like the, all the Ravagers be kind of good guys, you know, Thanos not be a bad guy. Like Everything about the story I really liked. That said, it's not like... It wasn't like a 40 dog episode no, no. for me. It's just more of this is to your point. This is what I want these episodes to be like. Like if you check out the what if we talked about Marvel's what if, would you listen a what if podcast? Yeah, 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 yeah. What if? Although I said this is pretty much what I want from the show, I only gave it a B. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. It's just, again, I wanted more. And I'm always going to want more good or, or bad, right? Because if it's bad, you're like, if I had more, it might be good. And if it's good, if I had more, it might be great. Love the show all you want. That's absolutely fine. I think the show is good, but it doesn't necessarily hold my interest or is exactly appointment viewing on my part. Well, and I'm pretty sure. Now, I, I might have read this wrong or I might be quoting a fake source. But did they not say that this is canon in alternate timelines? They said there's a possibility of it being canon. So if you're going to say that, you can't half-ass it. Yeah. You need full-ass here, Marvel. We I also full ass. do love the fact that the thing that changes the universe is you take, as opposed to the eight-year-old dickhead selfish Peter Quill, who we do love, 
You instead have a worldly. He's not, he's not selfish. His fucking mom's dying. He's lonely. Well, no, he has selfish tendencies, and that's why his life ends up where it is. Sure. As opposed to the already mature, diplomatic, uh, someone that wants to view the world or the entire galaxy. Type of guy, yeah. You have T'Challa, and how him being out there changes everything as opposed to Peter Quill. Right. Yeah. I do think, though, it was a little disingenuous, right? Because we've seen. And Black Panther and in the Avengers movies, it's more Shuri and other people that want to share Wakanda's wealth with the outside world. Killmonger. And T'Challa doesn't really want It's to. almost Killmonger, Killmonger who wants to do it more Killmonger. than him. Yes. Right. Right. And so that was a little disingenuous having him be sort of that, you know, I don't know, what's the like a humanitarian feel to him. But that said, this was the last instance of us getting Chadwick Boseman in the MCU. So yeah. To that respect, it was great. So he was very good in it, but the standout voiceover guy to me, Benicio Del Toro. As the watcher. Yeah. No. That was cool. As the collector. As the collector. Yeah. Because his big personality lends perfectly to an animated character. Yeah. And we also have seen him just be a complete coward in the MCU. So it was cool seeing the Del Toro personality and voice to a bigger character. So if you're looking for more of a breakdown about a show where neither of the hosts particularly love the show, check out (laughs) What If We Talked About Marvel's What If. Would you listen a What If podcast? Yeah, 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 yeah. What if? Early response is that the people do not care for us. Uh, what is next week's What If episode? Loki using diplomacy to take New oh, York. God, that one's going to stink. Hey, don't say, don't say that or you are being disrespectful to the show and you are spewing hate. One of the greatest criticisms of one of the greatest movie franchises ever is The Phantom Menace is all diplomacy, right? The prequels. Diplomacy. Bad diplomacy is a matter of Bad. fact. Yeah. So why do we want to dive into this? In I AMC? love taxation. Oh, talk <laughs> taxation about more. without represent, representation. <laughs> Mac, where can you find us? Uh, you can find us on Twitter and on Instagram at Mac and Goo Podcast. Every other platform where you're Mac, Ampersand, Goo. It's Mac, Shift 7, Goo. That includes Facebook, Stitcher, TuneIn, CastBox, Spreaker, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Spotify, but more importantly, Apple Podcasts. Get on Apple Podcasts, subscribe to us, rate us, review us five stars. If you do that, we'll get you a free Mac and Goo t-shirt from the folks over at Watertown Sportswear. That's Watertown Sportswear on 34 Mod Auburn Street in Watertown. The website's watertownsportswear.com. Watertown Sportswear, expert screen printing and embroidery. tpublic.com. I will tell you what, Mac. Those shirts that Billy D is making, they are selling like hotcakes. Ooh. Hotcakes. What's the name of the store again? That's a chunky. That's a chunk of the exclamation point. Tpublic.com. Yes. yes. So, guys, next week, check us out for part two of our summer movie series. That'll do it for this week. Tuesdays are sometimes Goose Days, but they're also on Fridays sometimes. Live every day like it's Goose Day. I abuse kangaroos. Bye. Please flip the cassette over to side B to continue the adventure. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. 
Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.